So cool. Um, those are gateway stories. And truly, it is the best story ever that God is telling. And how he is telling a story, but it involves all of us and what he's doing throughout humanity. And you know, as we prepare to head into our 20th year as a church, we wanted to take time here at year end and remember God's story. And, and for you to see how your own story connects with it. And in fact, we want to have a conversation online and want to encourage you to think about your own story and go out there and, and interact, uh, own your story, and think about how it connects with God's story. Because you know, God's story, if you zoom all the way out on the story of the Bible, it's the story of God's love relationship with humanity. And it's a love relationship with as much drama as a teenage romance, honestly. And then if you zoom in mid-view, you get God's story with the nation of Israel and, and then with the church. And then if you zoom in all the way, it's a story about God and you. And you start to see how every promise and every command and, and every story of the Bible is actually meant for you and, and to be about you and God as well. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks, we're going to start today and I'm going to zoom out and we're going to look at, I'm going to try to overview the Old Testament in 30 minutes. Yes, strap on your seatbelt. Good luck. Here we go. And what really makes it tough, you know, is the Bible is actually not one book. It's 66 books written over 1,500 years. And yet what's phenomenal is there is a common thread story throughout it all. Now, I will have to leave parts out. So uh, get the book. It's good. Read it. All right. Um, I, I will have to leave parts out. But what you need to understand is the Bible can and has been very misunderstood and misinterpreted and used for people's own agendas throughout history. And much of the reason is because you don't understand the big picture story. And so we have to first understand the big picture story in order to see how it applies to us personally. I mean, it's like any story. Think about the story of A Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Now, if you only read the last part of the story, you could really misapply it. Right? You, would, you would see Ebenezer Scrooge as the most kind, generous, loving person, the way he cares for Tiny Tim's family. He saves Tiny, Tiny Tim's life. And you might mistakenly name your firstborn child Scrooge if you just read the last part, right? Big mistake. If you just read the first part, you would think that Ebenezer Scrooge is so evil, he's irredeemable. There's no hope. And you'd name your neighbor's cat Ebenezer probably, right? But there's a bigger story Dickens meant for you to get, that no one is beyond redemption. And God's story has a bigger picture that you first have to get to really understand what he's doing through you and through us together as his church. And so that's what we're going to look at, this common thread today of how God was creating us for a love relationship with himself. But as act one is going to show us, that's risky business. Act one of God's story, risky business. In Genesis chapter one, it says that God created. Have you ever really stopped and thought about how ridiculously creative God is? I mean, think about the billions of planets and stars and galaxies and, and, and the diversity even on planet Earth of plant life and, and animal life. And then his greatest crowning creation, of men and women, but so diverse, all unique. And yet, 
he says, created unique from the other animals in this way. Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. To be created in God's image means we are creative. And, and that we have the ability to co-rule or, or be good stewards over the, the earth and the plants and the animals and, and one another. And this is a responsibility that God actually gave us. Genesis 2, 15, it says he took the, the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free. Okay, this is critical. Let's, let's go back. Let's pause here because this is a critical framework to understand the whole human story. The first command, did you get it? You are free. See, we think God's commands are to say, stop that, don't this, don't that. But God's first command is be free. Be free and enjoy all the diversity of the good gifts I've given. You are free to choose and you are free to choose as well. And we have to understand that this is the heart of God to set us free. But he gives one command. He says, but there's one thing that's off limits. Only one of all the good things. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're free except for this one thing. Okay, now why? That's, that's a critical question. In fact, it's the key to the whole story. Why did God create us free with the ability to choose? Well, because God is love. And love is risky business, even for God. See, for God to create creatures like God, in the image of God, who could love God and love one another, we had to be free to choose not God. Because that's the only way love works. So God is love and God is good, but not God, then is the knowledge of evil. It's the knowledge of evil. Enter Satan into the story, who lies to the couple, and God warns them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because you'll die. You know, it's interesting. We always picture him eating an apple. Where'd the apple come from? There's no apple in the story at all. It's the knowledge of evil that he's trying to protect them from. It's the knowledge of evil. And he says the consequences are death. Now, Physical death means, death means separation. Physical death means separation from our physical bodies. Spiritual death, which God was talking about here, means separation from the one who gives spiritual life and love and every good gift. Now think about this. Humanity already had God and everything good. The only thing that was missing is evil. Why would we ever choose that? Think about it because it keeps on happening. This is the story of humanity. So God says, trust me, I'm giving you freedom. You're free to choose to enjoy all the good things I've given. But he gives one command in an attempt to protect them. But evil lies and says, no, 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 no. You won't die. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Think about that. Now, we could, we could get derailed with all kinds of analytical questions about the book of Genesis, and we've, we've dealt with those questions before in the past, but I don't want to go there today because I don't want you to miss the big picture point, and the point is clear. We chose, and we keep on choosing to play God and to say, God, I think I know what's best. My will be done, not your will, and we keep on doing this, and that is the knowledge 
of evil. And that is why God allowed all of his good gifts, creation, work, relationship, everything to be infected with the knowledge of evil. So freedom is real, friends. It's real. Not God means not love, not order, not peace, real consequences. This is the story of God. And that's why we see not order. We see miscarriages and Hurricane Harveys and entropy and everything rusts and wilts and, and, and gets destroyed. And it's not the way God intended it, but he allows it for a reason. And then we see not love and not peace. We see wars and fights and hasty, nasty divorces and abuse and rape and murder and corruption and lying and cheating. Why? Why would God not just fix it immediately? That's the story of risky business. Love really does require freedom to choose. Now, on the other hand, God did fix it immediately, or at least he set in place a plan to fix it immediately. So it says in Genesis that God would not let humanity eat from the tree of life and live forever in the state of separation from God. So he limits our experience to 70 years, experiencing taste of his goodness and love and blessing, but also the knowledge of not God. Of, of, the, of the curse and the, the hurts and the hates and the evils. And, and so that we won't mistake this life for it's okay. It's not okay. It's missing God at the center. And God immediately prepared a way to restore all humanity to, to spiritual relationship with himself. Despite our choosing to turn away from God and play God and go against God. He chose to make a way right from the very beginning so that all who turn back to God and choose to love God and follow God can be made right with God in the hopes that then we will forever freely choose God because humanity in eternity will have knowledge of good in his presence, but also the history of, of evil apart from him. All right, act two, that's where act two comes in, a nation for the nations. So act one was risky business. Act two, God 4,000 years ago, about 2000 BC, chooses Abraham and Sarah, a couple full of faith, to create a nation, the Jewish nation, a chosen nation. Now chosen is a very misunderstood word. We think of chosen like better than or special or special value, but that's not really what chosen means. Chosen means set apart for a reason, for a purpose. And God gives that purpose right in Genesis 12, one, the Lord said to Abram or Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and here's the purpose, all families on earth will be blessed through you. Now notice the big picture. God chooses Abraham and Sarah to create a nation. Why? To bless all nations. See, God is going to take Abraham's family line and through that family line, bless all people on earth. And you know, 500 times in the Bible, God speaks to all the nations. He, he is not one who plays favorites. And when he chooses one, he does it for the sake of all others. And Gateway, we can't forget this. Heading into our 20 year, we can't forget this. That when, when, when God brings us to himself and, and lets us know of his love and his forgiveness, it's not just for us. It's always because he loves all people. 
And so he wants us to take that knowledge and, and share it, to share his love, to serve our neighbors and our coworkers. Are you doing that? Because as we're gonna see, when Israel forgot that, when they started thinking, oh, it's all for me, I'm better than, bad things happen. They missed God's heart. You know, even this Christmas, it's a great opportunity to think about loving and serving your neighbors and coworkers and inviting them to come explore this incredible love of God that he freely offers to all people. So God is gonna bless all the nations through this one nation, how? Two primary ways, look. First, to record and preserve God's words through the Jewish prophets. Second, he's gonna foretell and prepare God's self-revelation as Messiah, or as it's translated into Greek, the Christ to come. So I want you to keep both those in mind. They're, they're critical to the story. God, through this nation, is going to reserve and preserve his scriptures, what came to be the Bible, and foretell, prepare the way for Messiah, God's self-revelation, and both for the sake of restoring a love relationship with all willing people from all nations. Such a beautiful story. Okay, but it's not quite that simple. Here's why. Abraham and Sarah are barren. They can't have kids. They've been trying for decades to have kids. And now Abraham is 75 years old when God makes this promise. God says, look, I'm going to bless all the nations through your lineage. And yet, how? Viagra hasn't even been invented yet. You know? And, but God says, trust me. Okay? I can, I can make the dead rise, God says. And so, you didn't get that. <laughs> now you did. <laughs> you were thinking it, you didn't want to laugh. All right, Genesis 15, moving right along. Genesis 15, five. Look at this, this is, this is so critical. God says to Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham believed or trusted the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, don't miss this. So critical. From the very beginning, from Cain and Abel, the, 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 the sons of Adam and Eve, to Abraham and on, it was by faith that people have always been made right with God. Now, what God was going to do through this nation is provide a way through Messiah, through his coming, to pay for the sins of all people for all time. So all it takes is a heart turning back in faith to know they are made right with their creator forever. And so after another decade or so, Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah, and, and God's promises are going to come true. God's going to bless all the nations through Isaac and Jacob and on down through King David all the way to Messiah. And you know, if you've ever read in the Old Testament or, or in the New Testament, you know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, and you're like, so what? Right? This is why. See, God was putting very specific signs, including the exact lineage traced all the way to his self-revelation in Jesus. And so God even makes Abraham act out the crucifixion of Jesus 2,000 years before it would happen. He tells Abraham to travel three days to Mount Moriah and there to sacrifice his only son as an offering. But as we know, God provides a lamb in his place 
But he does this on the very mountain where a thousand years later, Jerusalem will be built on the very place that a thousand years after that, God's very own son would be sacrificed to pay for the sins of all people. See, all of this was written down before, foretold. We know it wasn't doctored up. We know it was all written down before. We know that because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is history, God's story foretold. Act three, the law. You know, I was, uh, when, when my daughter was born, um, we were moving from California to Chicago. So we decided Kathy and Ashley would fly. I would make the drive. Um, but I was okay with that, uh, driving all the way from California to Chicago because I had the audio cassette of Tom Clancy's Clear and Present Danger. Remember audio cassettes back in the days when dinosaurs roamed the earth and they warbled horribly? So I am, I'm cruising across the plains of Colorado, engrossed in this audio cassette book, and, and about five hours after leaving Colorado, I start to notice signs saying Nebraska. Now, the problem was I was supposed to be in Kansas. And so I stopped the car, I pulled over, I got out the map that Kathy made me put in the glove compartment. Don't worry, guys, nobody saw, okay? <laughs> I was pretty sure I didn't need a map, you know, it's just straight across America, halfway, take a left to Chicago. <laughs> I pull out the map and I realized I had missed the sign for Kansas and gone to Nebraska. Five hours in Nebraska, it caught, cost me an overnight in Lincoln, Nebraska, which if you didn't know, I found out, is the home of the once a year national fat pig competition. <laughs> True story, I could not find a hotel because of all the fat pig people. <laughs> Signs are important, right? Now imagine you're rolling down the highway and you see a sign, life to the left, death to the right. Quick, what do you choose? Life, right? Not always. <laughs> so 3,500 years ago, God gave Israel the signs of which way is life and which way is death, and surprisingly, they kept on going toward death. It says in Deuteronomy 30, God says through Moses, the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you'll obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, go left, <laughs> so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. You know, it's fascinating if you think about it. The Old Testament God is no different than the New Testament God. He wants love. He, he is a God of love. And, and, and he wants to delight in you and me and every human. He wants to bless us. He wants us to prosper. He wants to lead us into life when we turn and follow him with all our heart and all our soul. That's what he longs for. But he says to you and me, just like he did to them, but I've given you free will, choose. I hope you'll choose life. But so many times we keep saying, nope, I think I'm gonna go the way of death. It's kind of crazy, but it's the story of Exodus. And it's the story of, of the rest of a lot of the Old Testament. So God sets Israel free from, from slavery, all right? And the law is, the, is choices have consequences. That's the theme. Choices have consequences. 
Now, when Israel gets enslaved to Egypt and, and, and God hears their cries and he goes to deliver them through Moses and he gives Pharaoh 10 warnings and 10 consequences, right? Now, each time he's trying to get Pharaoh to trust him and do what he says and let the people go and Pharaoh hardens his heart. The 10th one is significant because it's the Passover. It's where the Passover comes from. So on the 10th morning, God says, this is the last one, Pharaoh. If you don't let the Jewish people go, then the last will be that all the firstborn will die. But in that, he also gave a warning. He said, but anyone, Jews or Egyptians, who will take the blood of a lamb and mark their doorposts with it, death will pass over that house. They'll be spared. Now, this is significant because he's asking us to trust in this blood of a lamb that would cause death to pass over, okay? And then for 1,500 years after this, remember this is 3,500 uh, BC. For 1,500 years, God commands the nation of Israel to practice the Passover on that date regularly to remember what he would do and what he had done. Now, every year, Every Jewish person had to bring a lamb to the temple in Jerusalem to be sacrificed, paying for the sins of the past year. Can you imagine having to do that every year? Crazy, huh? Now, the way around it is just don't sin that year. Exactly. That's the point. It's a big reminder, right? A big reminder. And, and so God uh, had them do this Passover ritual every year until Jesus is crucified. This is phenomenal. The final Passover lamb. History outside the Bible records that the Jewish, in, in the Jewish Talmud they record it, in the Roman uh, uh, histories they record that Jesus was crucified on the Passover and then all sacrifice stopped shortly after that. Why? Because the Romans destroyed the temple, which was the only place that that could be done. So it's phenomenal. This is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice who takes away the sins of the whole world for all time. So Pharaoh finally lets them go. They go out to Mount Sinai, and there God gives the law, the Ten Commandments and the other laws. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. Exodus 19. God says, You know how I've carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you'll obey me and keep my covenant... You will be my own special treasure among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you'll be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Now, important to understand, the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. God promised that through Abraham, he would bless all the nations on earth. How? Through the Messiah, who would pay for all sins for all time, unconditionally. But the Mosaic covenant was conditional. It was an if-then covenant. God wanted a nation that would be set apart to, to stay in bounds of his laws and show the rest of the nations how good it is when you do what God says and how he blesses you so that they'd be a nation of, a, of priests. A priest is someone who helps people reconnect to God. So he wanted a whole nation to do this for the other nations, but it's an if-then covenant. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you rebel, you'll suffer consequences. And that, by the way, is the purpose of the law to show us there really are consequences when we choose by our own free will to go against God. It's kind of like a car. 
you know, you're free. A car is designed by its manufacturer to run on gasoline, to have clean oil, but you're free. You don't have to ever change the oil. You can put nitrous in the gas tank and make it fly, but you can also, you know, melt down your pistons and you can blow your engine block as a consequence, right? And, and it's the same thing with God's Old Testament law. So in the Old Testament law, he's giving moral laws, you know, that, that are showing us consequences when we go against him. He's also giving civil laws because Israel is a nation. And by the way, most jurisprudence in history is based on uh, the Mosaic uh, uh, civil law. And then he also gives ceremonial laws that are particular to the nation of Israel. It was mostly about hygiene, but also foreshadowing what was going to happen in Christ. You know, it's interesting. There's a guy down at our Gateway South Campus who uh, works for a nonprofit taking care of the green spaces in Austin. And he read the book of Leviticus and, and in the Old Testament, goes back to his life group, and here's what he, here's what he said. Um, he, where is it? I can't remember it, and I can't find it. <laughs> well, I'll summarize it for you. Um, he said, he said basically that, you know, if you read the book of Leviticus, it is an amazing practical guide to survival in the wilderness. And that's what a lot of it is, of the ceremonial laws. It's survival in the wilderness. Now, we have to read the law of the Old Testament through the lens of God's character revealed through Jesus. Because Jesus fulfilled the intent of the law. That's what it says in Matthew 5. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, the Old Testament. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. What was their purpose? To show us that we need God. That we can try as hard as we want to be good moral people and we break our own moral code. <laughs> much less God's, much more God's. And so here's the interpretive key found in Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise of the coming Messiah to show people their sins. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. In other words, we no longer are under the if-then covenant. We are accepted and loved by God and our sins are not held against us. Now that's great news, but here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean there are no consequences to when we, we go out of bounds of the law. It doesn't mean we should be less ethical or less moral or less godly than the law said. The law just gives the out of bounds. God says, look, I've given you this, all these good gifts, freely choose from all of them, only just don't go out of bounds because it'll hurt you and others. That's the law. But what Jesus was doing is making a way not just to not go out of bounds, but to change us from the inside out. He was making a way to reconnect us to the source of life and love so that by his spirit, he starts to change our hearts as we trust him more and more. So instead of just not killing each other, we actually learn to love those we would like to kill. See that? Instead of just not committing adultery with each other, we actually start to view each other as more than just objects of lust, as whole spiritual creatures that are meant to be treated well, stewarded well, right? 
So this is the point of the law that Jesus said he came to fulfill. Now, the history of Israel, though, is the history of humanity. And Joshua, Judges, Chronicles, Kings, so many of the other Old Testament books record how Israel looked at their neighbor and said, I want to be like them. I want what they have. They had human kings. God wanted to be the king of the people of Israel. In other words, he said, you look to me, let me lead you. They said, no, we want to be like them. We want to do what they do. Now, this is, this is the history of humanity, right? And God warns me, says, oh, please, no, don't, don't reject me because human kings are going to use you and abuse you. It's not going to go well for you. And they said, no, we know what's best for us. And they kept rejecting him. Now, look at what God says. Look at his heart here. The Lord told Samuel, one of his prophets there, listen to what the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. Important lesson here. Sometimes the consequences of us rejecting God's ways is he gives us what we think we want. But it doesn't ever go our way. Not the way we were hoping. That's the lie of evil, always. It has nothing to offer that God hasn't already freely given. It just tries to get us to circumvent God's timing or his will or ways. To get it. And then it causes us problems. And that's the history. So the first king was, was bad and led Israel astray. And God removes him. And God appoints David, who was a, a man after God's own heart. David was a good king because he was humble. David wrote much of the Psalms of the Old Testament. And then David's son Solomon writes a lot of the wisdom, the Proverbs. And, 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 and the time of David and Solomon was about 1,000 BC. It was a high point for the nation of Israel. It really happened. They actually obeyed him, and he really blessed them. And the nation saw, and they came to understand this God of Yahweh, this, this God. The Queen of Sheba comes up from Africa. Others came to find out uh, about this God of Solomon's wisdom, worldwide notoriety and everything was going great but God had warned them as well through Moses he said now here's what's going to probably happen when I bless you things are going to go well and you're going to forget me and you're going to start thinking that you did all this and it was all because you're so great but don't forget God it'll go bad for you and then the history starts to go on this roller coaster where things get bad they turn their hearts back to God he blesses them, things go good, they turn away, forget him, they crash, it gets bad, they turn back. Does this sound familiar? It's the history of all of us. It's God's story with humanity. So God sends his prophets because it keeps getting worse and they start to worship these demonic gods who want them to sacrifice their children and do all kinds of other horrific things. Act four, jilted lover. So from about 700 BC to 400 BC, God starts sending prophet after prophet to warn them, don't keep doing this, please turn back to me, follow me, I love you, love me, choose me, choose life. And sometimes they'd turn back, like I said, and, and you know, usually when things got really bad, and then as soon as things got good, they'd turn away again, and it just kept repeating. And for 300 years, God sends prophets to warn them. Now, interesting. Have you ever heard people say, God of the Old Testament is wrathful and angry and so mean? Right? You know why they get that impression? Is because God kept on warning them. 
It's not that he's so angry and so mean. It's that he's so loving and merciful that he kept on sending prophet after prophet for 300 years to warn them, if you keep going here, if you keep getting out from under my protection, this is what evil is going to do to you, and I don't want it to happen. Please turn back. But they kept rejecting and kept rejecting. But some didn't. Nineveh, who is not a Jewish nation, a total pagan nation, and he warns Nineveh, and Nineveh does turn back, and those, those things don't happen. See, God's trying to spare us the consequences. He protected them from the evil he had predicted. So through the prophets, we see God's heart. It's interesting, God takes one prophet, Hosea, and Hosea's story is that he marries a woman who keeps committing adultery on him again and again and again, and the whole point is God says, that's me with you. That's kind of wild, isn't it? In fact, Jeremiah, God pours out his heart in Jeremiah the prophet and says this, Jeremiah 3, 12, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You've rebelled against the Lord your God. You've scattered your favors to foreign gods. You see, you've committed adultery. You've not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Does that sound weird? He is a jilted lover. He is... He is closer. He wants to be closer to us than a spouse. But when we keep rejecting him, God is a feeling God. He feels. And it hurts the heart of God when we keep choosing death instead of life, when we keep choosing things that are not God's and keep hurting us and others instead of the one who wants to bless us and love us and give us life. And you know, friends, the best reason to choose to obey God It's not to prove you're good or to be a good person. It's to love God and not hurt his heart. It's for relationship that God created you and me and all of us. And so that's act five, the coming Messiah. God foretells his coming that first Christmas because God wants to be known. God wants to be loved. He wants to be known and and be close to us like, like a child and a father, like a, like a spouse, like two lovers. That's how God feels about us. And so through the Old Testament prophets, 60 prophecies foretell who, where, what, why, when, all the details of his self-revelation in Messiah. Because this is such a mystery, God would unite himself to humanity forever. Think about that. That God... Jesus was God, but Jesus chose to become human, and he still retains that humanity in his resurrection. He has united himself forever to humanity. That's what he foretold in Isaiah 9, in that first Christmas. In the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations, for to us a child is born, a son is given, The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then in Micah, 700 years before Jesus came, he says, but you, Bethlehem, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. 
He will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. This Messiah would come. He would be God born as a child to unite God with humanity forever because that's what God wants. He wants to be united to humanity. But you're free. It's the first commandment. You and I have to choose. And will we choose to unite ourselves to him and surrender? To stop playing God and let God be God and say, God, I was created for you. I want to love you and trust you. And so the very last prophet of the last book of the Old Testament, before 400 years of silence, for 400 years, no prophet came. The last prophet, Malachi, says this in Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. This is God speaking. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. 400 years later, the next prophet came, John the Baptist. He baptized Jesus, announcing, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. What an amazing story. The greatest story ever told. But friends, it's not just God's story. It's your story. This is why you were created, for him and for his story, for him to link you to his story forever. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Don't miss next week. And then for what he's doing through all of us together to link others to his story forever as well. So here's what I want us to do. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to make it your prayer. To make it your prayer of just like God gave himself to us for us. Of you giving yourself back to God to know him more. And if you can sing it with all your heart, sing it with all your heart. And then we'll close in prayer.